Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I celebrate two years of podcasting with a pretty full slate of movies this weekend. We've got Disney's A Wrinkle in Time, Amazon Studios' Gringo, The Hurricane Heist, which I'll get into, and the 10-year belated sequel to The Strangers, The Strangers Pray at Night. So, let's get started. Have faith in who you are. I'll try Here. Trust nothing. I cannot leave without my father. You are stronger than I ever was. Be a warrior. Do you trust me? I trust you. should talk to my brother about this because he was the one who loved this book growing up. I never read it, but I was excited about the movie. Uh, I love Ava DuVernay. Uh, I've loved her since Selma, and I still need to see um, her other one, 13, that she did for Netflix. But I was happy to see her directing a big budget movie like this, kind of like how Ryan Coogler went from doing Fruitvale Station to Creed to Black Panther. And I was happy, I was excited to see what she was going to do with a with a, like a major big budget uh, blockbuster style movie, and to see a very diverse cast like Mindy Kaling, Oprah, and uh, the and like a, it's a mixed family. So you've got uh, Chris Pine as the dad. I didn't recognize the mom off the top of my head. Um, I don't know if she's been in other stuff i'm about to check that out but i you know she did a gr- great job and then of course you've got uh another uh mixed relationship kind of with the kids because the the girl is you know the girl you so you've got a you know a, a, a mixed girl with a white with a white boy as sort of like the love interests growing up uh, storm storm reed uh, as meg uh, who also, who I think did all, all right as far as kids, you know, as far as kids go, but um, Gugum but okay, I know her. Gugum Bataraw uh, was the mom, but I but I know her from. Okay, she was Plumet in she was just Plumet in Beauty. Oh, that's where I know her from. Oh, no, no, concuss that's concussion. Not I was I for some reason I thought it was I thought I was showing the poster for um uh. Collateral Beauty, which is woof. Oh, she was just in the Cloverfield Paradox as well. Where do I know her from? Free, Free State of Jones. That's where I know her from. Free State of Jones, and apparently she was she's best known like for Belle, uh, which was this period piece movie where she where where it's like what is. This. I never saw this one. A uh, mixed race daughter of a Royal Navy admiral is raised by her aristocratic great uncle in 18th century England. And she was the star in that with like M- Matthew Good, Emily Watson, uh, Tom Wilkinson, Miranda Richardson, Tom Felton was in that one. 
but I never saw it. So that was her kind of like debut film, I think, so to speak. That's the one where people started to pay attention to her. And, huh, she was, t- she was a character named Tish Jones in Doctor Who. I'm not as familiar with, doc- with uh, Doctor Who enough to know who that is, but cool. Um, so yeah, she, she plays, uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra plays the mom, and she is also excellent. Like, just, it's a really solid cast. Michael Peña shows up, Zach Galifianakis plays Happy Medium, um, David Oyewolo is, uh, is, has been going under the radar. He plays the voice of the It, so he's got two movies out this weekend. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really solid. Uh, I don't want to say the movie solid because there are uh, there is one really big problem that pervades the whole movie, and, and people were saying like, oh, I could see the like Double Toasted said I could see the haloing in the blue screen effect, and I'm like, really, really? Because I never noticed that. It's almost like they're really. Digging for stuff to nitpick. And, and there's like a really big backlash against this movie. And it's unfortunately I'm seeing it mainly from dudes. So I so I'm taking that with a grain of salt because, you know, this is also the group of guys that were like, oh, the, the Smurfs is the worst movie I've ever seen. And it's like, come on. You, you know, hyper, hyperbole can only take you so far with this kind of stuff. But, um, this, you know, this movie's not perfect. This movie has some big problems. Like, the acting, it can be uh, a bit strained. It can be a bit wooden coming off. Uh, the, the one big issue I had with it is, it seems like it was recut in a way that the dialogue was completely ADR'd, uh, which is a term meaning additional dialogue recording. Um, and that means it was recorded after the fact and redubbed in. Like the, and it's something that most movies do because you can't get really good audio quality on the set, so you record, re-record the dialogue and match it up later. Unfortunately, this didn't match up with the lips, apparently, or something, because it's all all the dialogue is said off off screen in the you know by by the characters while the camera focuses on scenery or the or other kit or like the other characters' reactions, and so you never see the dialogue being matched up with the character with the character who is saying it. It is. The weirdest thing I've ever seen, and I don't get this, I don't know if it's a style choice or if it was like, ah, crap, we screwed up, we gotta try this to cover it up. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's, it's distracting. It distracted me the whole movie. And that's a and that's a shame because it's not a bad movie overall. Like I don't know how deep, how much I think it. I've heard it deviates a bit from the source material. There's not a lot of mention of God in there. I know the book tries to incorporate both science and God into into the into its premise, but here it's trying to go for a more spiritual angle in that it's. It's not trying to be specifically religious. It's more trying to be a sort of 
universal spiritual experience. You know, like you don't need to believe in the Abrahamic God in order to buy into it, but you still kind of, you know, it still fits into that ethos and that and mentality. Uh, and it's not a, and that's the thing, it's not a bad movie. I do like the production design. It's gorgeous. And the costume design is weird and intricate and cool. Like, like the Double Toasted guys were complaining that, oh, wow, this doesn't make sense. Why she turned into a giant flying cabbage? It feels like they're, it feels like they're really pushing for it to, for it to try and make sense, but the, book itself didn't was kind of ethereal and fantastical and very childlike in that in that sense and so it's not trying to be something logical it's not trying to be something i don't think it's trying to and i mean the movie definitely isn't trying to go for logical it's trying to go for emotional and fantastical and ethereal it's trying to go for something bigger than you know the state, the, the the basic story structure and whatnot. It's trying to, it's not trying, it's trying to almost be arti- more artistic in that sense, and for and for it to be knocked, for that to be not, you know, knocked against because it didn't follow some kind of logical structure. Like why, why did we ever learn about this? People complain the same thing about Snoke. Like how come we never learned anything about Snoke? You weren't supposed to, asshole. You don't need to be spoon fed the plot. By the characters, you know, you could figure, you could figure stuff out. You have a brain, jerk off. Uh, but yeah, this movie does. It's not perfect, and even Oprah and and uh, Reese Witherspoon and Mindy Kaling kind of have some awkward dialogue too. So I mean, it's. So, I feel like this had a trouble. This may have had a troubled um, production. Like, things didn't quite go as they expected to, and so they're trying to make up for it. But it's hard to say because this is the cut we got, and we can only assume from that. And it's kind of an awkward and mixed-up cut. Uh, And that's kind of sad because I think this could have been a great movie if, you know, if we got more out of it. But maybe there's a... I'm in the hope... I'm under the hope that uh, there is a director's cut that can improve a lot of the problems I saw in this movie and make some, and it's, and that it's better. But as far as I know, this is the only cut that exists. And well, I mean, of course it's the only cut that exists as of this moment, but I don't know about production wise, how deep it, like, like, I don't know how long the original, her original cut that she submitted was. This is about a hundred minutes long. It's not, it's, it's a quick pace. It clips, it clips along really well. I wonder if there's like a two and a half hour cut that fixes a lot of the problems. And I feel like that would be more appropriate given the length of the original book and how much is in there. So we'll have to wait and see if they do a director's cut or not. But for the most part, I think you can check this out. I I would say check this out in theaters. Uh, maybe you'll, I, I know... Um, there have been fans of the book who say, "Oh yeah, this is this captures a lot of it," but at the same time, don't expect like the best thing ever. Expect a decent fantasy kids movie. That's all. Please, God, save me from this man. You really believe in God? Of course, I believe in God. What kind of person does not believe in God? I guess I kind of do, but. In theaters, March 9th.
I was actually kind of excited about Gringo. I uh, Not, like, super excited. Not the same way I was excited for things like Black Panther or uh, Avengers. But I was interested to see how it turned out. Because it seemed like a fun premise. It seemed like a cool, dark comedy sort of thing. And... You know, it had a solid cast. Charlize Theron, Joel Edgerton, David Oyewolo, Amanda Seyfried, Tandy Newton's in it, uh, Chartel Copley. It's an all-around, it's an all-around solid cast, all things considered, but, um, I, it just, unfortunately, didn't really meet, meet those expectations, sadly, and... It, it, and uh, I did. It didn't even make the top ten at at, uh, at the box office. Sadly, like Eat the Strangers, uh, ten a ten year sequ- a sequel ten years after the fact, and the Hurricane Heist were able to beat Gringo at the box office this weekend. And it kind of. I think that kind of. It's. I guess it. I guess it kind of. I mean, that's the thing. It's made by Amazon Studios. Amazon isn't exactly stellar when it comes to its own films. Like what are the other Amazon? I know um, Manchester by the Sea, which got some, which got some Oscar accolades, was uh, was an Amazon Studios movie that got got theatrical release. But even then, was it wasn't like stellar. Uh, what else do they have? They're mostly... I think they're... It seems like they're mostly television. Okay, so... They... They... They seem to be a distribute. They seem to be a distributor more than they are a full... Let's see. Co-distribution, co-distribution. So it looks like... Their main... I don't know how much of these are, are them being produced. And how much of them are being... Uh, Distributed. It's hard to tell because it says co-distribution with a lot of stuff, but I can't tell if it's the uh, if it's um, if it's a, what's a distribution and what's a production. Let me see. And it's okay. Its first Amazon original was uh, the Spike Lee movie Chirac, uh, which I never saw, but I know it was actually based on an old uh, Greek play. Uh, about a, Gre- a, t- a group of Greek women who uh, refuse sex to their husbands unless they quit fighting uh, in the wars. And uh, Chirac was, was um, what's the play that it was based on? Um, Aristophanes' Lysistrata, uh, Greek comedy about uh, women's extraordinary mission to end the Peloponnesian War by denying all men in the land any sex. And Chirac was doing that, but with uh, the black women on uh, uh, Chicago South Side and the gang violence. So they would they the women on the sh- on the South Side of Chicago were agreeing to not have any sex with the men with with men until they stop fighting until they try to stop the gang violence. Uh, they also apparently had uh, Elvis and Nixon. Uh, Something called the Dressmaker, an American Girl story, uh, Manchester by the Sea. I mentioned they am they did also have some kind of produ- Lost City of Z uh, or Lost City of Z if you're uh, if you're a part of the uh, um, what's the term uh, what's the term Commonwealth if you're part, any part of the Commonwealth 
uh, Velocity of Zed. Um, that was done with Bleecker Street. Uh, I Am Not Your Negro, which was a, one of the uh, doc, uh, documentary nominations this year uh, uh, for, uh, for the Oscars. Uh, the Salesman, which just won Best Foreign Language f- Film. No, wait, no. Uh, wait, The Salesman didn't win. What is it? Oh, last year's winner for The Salesman. That's why. I was going to say, The Salesman didn't win. That was uh, uh, the one about the, the Chilean movie about the trans girl won uh, this year. Though The Salesman, for the previous foreign language film, won Best best Foreign Language Film. They did The Big Sick last year. Uh, Wonderstruck. Which one was that? Uh, Wonderstruck, mystery drama. It tells two stories set 50 years apart. Each story tells the child's quest. Rose run away, runs away from her father's New Jersey home to find her mother, the actress Lillian Mayhew. And in 1977, an orphan Ben runs across, runs from his from Minnesota home to find his father. Huh. Interesting. Uh, oh, and apparently they, uh, they're doing, a they're, they're tied to, uh, Terry Gilliam's latest attempt to tell the Don Quixote story. <laughs> uh, good for them, because I know that's, that's just, there's a whole movie about how he failed to do it last time. But we'll see if it turns out. There's not a release date announced for it yet. It's still in production. But uh, Gringo is the latest one. Uh, it seems to be mostly either stuff that's on the side or stuff that's not doesn't get a lot of theatrical release because I haven't heard of most of these. Complete Unknown, Gleason, Patterson, Gimme Danger, The Wall? The Wall? Uh, oh, The Wall, um, which was a Doug, a Doug Lyman movie starring Aaron Taylor Johnson and John Cena about uh, two Iraqi sniper, no, uh, two Iraq war sol- two soldiers uh, being pinned down by a sni- by an Iraqi sniper, and there's like only a stone wall, like a, a segment of a stone wall to protect them, but. Uh, most of these I'm not familiar with, and there'll seem to be a lot of co-distribution efforts, which is, uh, which is, um, their, what seems to be their model to kind of share the distribution, um, efforts with another studio. Um, but, yeah, the Amazon isn't exactly, like, hitting them out of the park, either. I don't know about I Am Your Negro or The Salesman, but Manchester by the Sea wasn't exactly like, you know, the best thing to come out in 2016, and The Big Sick was mainly go- was really good, but it's not, but it wasn't like gangbusters great either. They, Amazon Studios still hasn't really set itself out as like a, a studio the same way like A24. Every single production they put out is at least unique. And exciting, you know. Um, you when you see the A twenty four logo, you know. Oh, I can expect good things from that. Amazon Studios doesn't have that so much. It it seems to kind of be scattershot. It's like they want to do. They kind of like how Netflix isn't exactly a brand of quality, so to speak, because just as many Netflix productions are stupid or awful as there are like really good ones. So. It uh, 
it, it, it really, I think Amazon is having the same issue. It's just like, no, yeah, we'll take we'll take you on. Come on, let's do this. And it's not like they would rather do as many things as they can instead of do something, do a couple of things that are just really good. But uh, that's just me. Anyway, um, this is kind of long-winded and, uh, and kind of misses the point. But it's more interesting to talk about than the movie, which is... Sadly, not all that great. Um, uh, I don't know who... I'm not familiar with the writers, but there are two guys writing it. Matthew Stone and Anthony Timblakis. Matthew Stone is... uh, Helped write the Eddie Murphy and Matthew... uh, And uh, Martin Lawrence movie, Life. He did Intolerable Cruelty. Soul Men, the last movie with Bernie Mac... Man of the House. Oof. Wow. So he's not exactly... He's like, these aren't... Something called Big Trouble. Oh, no. It's Big Big Trouble. Was, yeah, Big Trouble was that one with Tim Allen in it where he's like a dentist or something. The, the lives of several Miami denizens from ad agents to gun runners to street thugs to law enforcement to school children intersect with, with humorous and dangerous results. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't hear good things about that one either. And the other guy is Anthony Timbakis. Is uh, he wrote? Oh, he's the guy who he wrote Warrior and Jane Got a Gun. Uh, apparently, he's attached to the Suicide Squad too. Which hey, it's better than David Ayer. David Ayer being in charge of that. Um, apparently, he's also tied to the Bad Boys Three, Bad Boys for Life. Uh, but he's, yeah, mainly known for, uh, Jane Got a Gun and Warrior. Uh, he was also the creator of the TV movie Cinnamon Girl, which I don't know much of. Uh, set age girl set against the backdrop of Hollywood's music and movie industry in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, him, Anthony Tambakis and Renee Zellweger are, are attached as creators, even though it's a TV movie, which is weird. Um... Apparently, oh, apparently there's like a there's like an Indian version of Warriors that he, that he got tied to as as the uh, story by credit. So Warrior got an Indian knockoff that had to uh, give credit to him as the writer. Um, and then he, and then this apparently he's also doing this. this he was announced. He's he has four movies on his IMDb that are announced. That I don't know anything about. There's the Karate Kid 2, the sequel to Jaden Smith's Karate Kid, Bad Boys for Life, Suicide Squad 2, and something called Four and a Half Minutes. A comedian takes a job that looking after the son of a single mom. And I don't know anything about it, and nobody else is attached. It's just Dov David off for the story and Anthony Tambakis for the screenplay. So he seems to be the good writer, and Matthew Stone seems to be the really mediocre one. And I think he's only Tambakas is only tied to it because this is his second movie. This is like his third movie with Joel Edgerton. I'm wondering if that's why I'm wondering if uh, maybe he and Joel are friends or something. Because un- unless Sundogs is also with Joel Edgerton, and Alison Janney, Melissa Benoit, um, Ed O'Neill, Exhibit, 
Sundog. So a young man determined to be a military hero ends up on a misguided adventure with his family and his new friend Tally, which leaves him with the most unlucky realization than that. Okay. I have no idea about this movie. I haven't even heard of it. Apparently it came out last year. Um, no idea where you can watch it. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, Jane got a gun, Warrior, and this. Three of his biggest releases have all been tied to Joel Edgerton. And, uh, this, and this movie itself is directed by Joel's brother, Nash. So I'm wondering if uh, Timbakis has some kind of friendship or something. Like they went to college together or they, I don't know, go to the same gym or something. But uh, Tabaka seems to be a solid writer because Warrior was a phenomenal movie and Jane Got a Gun was a decent western, but Gringo is not all that great, sadly. It, I mean, it, want, it has a solid premise, but the execution is really, once again, scattershot and not very well organized and like it's kind of like it keeps kind of meandering it feels like there are too many threads and it just needed a few more drafts to trim it down the basic premise that we got is um uh david oyuelo plays a uh nigerian uh immigrant who came to america and works in middle management for a pharmaceutical company who is friends with one of the executives and it turns out his friend is betraying him and is, plan- and is planning to, you know, send him up the river, so to speak, for uh, as the pharmaceutical company uh, sells, sells itself to a competitor. And um, David Oyewolo's Herald finds out and, and kind of goes on, kind of, kind of breaks down as his, the life he built for himself falls apart, uh, including his wife, Tandy Newton, revealing that you know she she wants to you know she's she you know she's been having an affair and uh while that's he's this happens while he's in mexico and so he he um gets picked up by uh a a major cartel a fictional cartel leader who wants who believes he is the key to getting access to a cannabis based pharmaceutical pill while that's going on, there's like another uh, dude who cut, came down, who has an inside man at the at the plant, so he can uh, come up with a knockoff cannabis pill. And the guy, that guy, brought his somewhat girlfriend Amanda Seyfried, and then Joel Edgerton's executive hires his brother, played by Charlotte Copley, who is an ex mercenary doing uh, doing um, philanthropic work in Haiti. And the brother is the is trying to bring uh, Harold back to the states, but but it's it's just it's all over the place, man. It's it feels like they had all these ideas and then they wanted to include them all, but you needed to streamline this thing. Things needed to, and then even by the end, the epilogue where all the, where you find out what happened to all the characters, it's it becomes suddenly mean spirited because apparently Tandy Newton used to be fifty pounds heavier, and then it's like, oh look at her, she gained back all the weight, and this is her punishment, and it's like, really, her punishment is that she gained weight again? Like that's that's kind of that's kind of mean spirited and unnecessarily. Like yeah, Tandy Newton did a bad thing, but 
to say like, yeah, she got fat. That's that's kind of like a douchey thing to say, man. Like, screw you, movie. And yeah, it's just it it really is not all that. Like, it it wants to be kind of a mean spirited dark comedy, but this but it just is too scatterbrained. I keep saying that, but yeah, it is. It's it's too all over the place. It needed to organize itself. It needed to streamline itself. It needed to become one cogent, coherent story and stick with that. Instead of trying to be like, oh, the, this happens and then there's these characters. And it try, instead of trying to be like a, like a crash-style, multi-character sort of situation centered around this one guy, it needed to just pick us pick what it wanted pick the story it wanted to tell and tell it it's it just ultimately is not like there's a guy in this movie uh who is who was one who is like the liaison between the pharmaceutical company and the and the plant uh that makes the, that produces the cannabis into the pill who get who like gets his toe cut off by the cartel leader and then we don't see him again until the end of the movie during the epilogue, and it it, it just it's it's it just has no idea what it wants to be. Sadly, it needed a few more drafts to finalize or streamline itself, and it feels like this was almost like a second second or third draft that wasn't done yet. But they said, "Ah, screw it, let's make the movie anyway," and. Yeah, I mean, stuff. If Amazon keeps releasing stuff like this, why should we take them seriously as a studio? You know, you need to make better, higher quality movies if they want to be taken seriously. But for what it's worth, Gringo was an interesting premise idea. Maybe somebody else will try to will try will do the same premise again and they'll do it better. But eh, whatever. Gringo, you could wait for it to come on Amazon. You don't need to see it in theaters. I mean, not that anybody saw it in theaters besides me, obviously. Here goes nothing. You better hope not. Let's get the money. That thing wants to swallow us whole. Hell of a day, ain't it? Hell of a day. Hurricane Heist is one of those movies that just baffles you that it exists. You know, it it reeks of a sci-fi channel original movie of the week sort of thing. And it is roughly of the same quality. Or, like, it's like an, almost like an asylum movie making, like, trying to tie into a Twister remake or something. It feels like one of those knockoff movies. And its biggest, biggest, uh... Advertising for itself is, hey, we got the director of the first uh, Fast and Furious movie to be in this. So, hey, look at us. We're legit. But, yeah, I mean, it, it is exactly what it sets itself out to be. It's a, mo- it's a dumb heist movie set during a hurricane in Alabama. But it cribs the premise, essentially, from Dead of Thieves. Because this is the second movie in two months' time that I'm talking about that features thieves breaking into and stealing from the Treasury Department 
the bills that were set to be shredded. So it's like, we're dealing millions of dollars that's just about to be taken out of, that's untraceable. It feels like screenwriters just now picked up the fact that this is what happens to the money. And so it's like, hey, what if we do a movie where they try to steal that money? I feel like we're, I feel like in the next couple of months, if not if not the rest of the year, we're going to start seeing a bunch of knockoff direct-to-video quality movies about stealing money from the treasury. And then, of course, some idiot's going to be like, "Hey, the, all these movies are talking about it. Why don't we try this?" I can't wait for that moment. But yeah, it, it, it's dumb. It's bad. I can tell you all kinds of awful things about it. The acting is awful and inconsistent. Nobody knows how to keep an accent. Because it feels like there's a bunch of people, a bunch of like, you know, British actors trying to break break through in America, and so they have to do a southern accent, and they don't know what they're doing. Uh, the story is inane and, and really convoluted; it doesn't make any damn sense. Uh, uh, the actual acting, when it's when it's not trying to act through accents, is just not good. It's really, you know, cheesy and hammy and over the top, and it's. And the editing is really piss poor. Like, all of it is just awful. And I get the feeling that... That has to be on purpose, right? They ha- This has to be in on the joke, I would hope. Uh, but at the same time, that might almost be to its detriment. Because, hey, Tommy Wiseau didn't say he was in on the joke until after the movie came out and everyone laughed at him. But <laughs> now he is. Now he's all in on the joke. Of The Room being the worst movie people have ever seen. It's not the... Unfortunately, this isn't The Room bad. It's more Sharknado bad. And Sharknado was one I never got into because it felt like it was trying to be bad. And trying to be bad on purpose always reeks of desperation. You almost want to be more like, Hey, let's not worry about being good. Let's worry about having fun. And this worries more about... Being stupid on purpose as though that's part of the joke, I get the feeling. So, it's not going to be one of my go-to bad movies to watch. There, I would, you know, I would much rather watch something more earnest like The Room or um, Troll 2. Uh, rather than something that just knew it was dumb and, but did it anyway. You know, that's, the sci- that's why the sci-fi movies never hooked me in. Because they, they seemed like... Really bad movies done on purpose because hey let hey look at us aren't we bad aren't we just making the worst and it's like yeah yeah you're just trying to get attention because you can't do anything good so <laughs> I mean yeah I would say I the same like Brad said it best Brad Jones uh, during his review with his wife Laura um, I would it's it's hard to say wait until this comes out on DVD so you can get with your buddies to have a few drinks and just make the fun make you know take the piss out of it but uh it's also like when else are you going to say oh yeah I saw Hurricane Heist when it was in theaters and it was the worst one of the worst things I've ever seen so you know if you're into bad movies and you're willing to pay 10 bucks a head see it in theaters otherwise you can just wait till it comes on some streaming service and just take the piss, take the piss out of it in the privacy of your own home.
I was not that big a fan of the of the first one. I never saw it. I didn't see it until this weekend in the lead up to the second one. And the version I saw was the unrated cut on Amazon. And I have to say, don't buy that version. Don't rent that version. Don't use that version. It is unwatchable. Like, literally, there are parts of it where it's just a black screen. It is so poorly lit. And I don't know if that's the original movie. I, I, can't, I can't believe that that's how the original movie looked. But the underrated cut on Amazon that's available right now, you should not use that because it is unwatchable. I mean, the movie, and, and the movie itself is, I don't get the appeal because it's just Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman whispering all their dialogue until the actual break-in starts happening. And it feels really cheap and lazy for the most part. And yet I'm hearing, there are people touting it as like a modern day classic. If you want to see my frustration with it, you can check out the munch along I did for the first strangers uh, over on Twitter. And it's, it just baffles me that people took this seriously. Like some people have called it a critique of post nine 11 America or like a commentary on it. It's like, no, this is just a lazy slasher movie. Uh, hold on, let me pull up the great quote um, Ebert said in about it in his, rev- in his review. He had uh, the, his uh, rev- his uh, a line from his review uh, is listed in the uh, reception part of the uh, this is legacy and impact uh, segment of the freaking on the freaking Wikipedia page. So people take this seriously, but. Um, Roger Ebert kind of summed up my thoughts on it real nice. The movie deserves more stars for its bottom line craft, but all the craft in the world can't redeem its story. <laughs> bottom line, exactly. Like, Roger Ebert called it out. This movie is not good. And uh, uh, Elizabeth Weitzman compared it to that year's, to uh, the, la- the previous year's Vacancy, which was the uh, a similar story about a family, you know, trapped against all odds. Uh, but there was Luke Wilson and uh, Kate Beckinsale, and that one. And she, you know, she called it out. Vacancy did what the strangers could not. And I've I've heard good things about Vacancy. I still need to check it out. But yeah, the strangers is nothing to write home about. In fact, the only thing to write home about is that it sucked. And yet. I'm sorry if you liked the movie. Good for you. I thought it's. I thought it sucked. I genuinely thought it was one of the worst horror movies I had. To, I've had to sit through. Not and it made worse by a terrible version available all through Amazon. You'd think, and not to mention the fact that the unrated version is basically the version that has. It's just a director's cut. It has a one alternate take and a deleted scene that they added in. That's not an unrated cut. An unrated cut is stuff that pushes you over the R rating into NC-17 territory. It has more sex. It has more graphic nudity. It has more blood and guts and gore. But this this is a this is the laziest and weakest unrated cut of a movie I've ever seen. Thankfully, uh, it's made up for in the sequel. The sequel is infinitely better. Than the first one. I, I That is such an anomaly to me. 
And I, I'm glad to say that because at least there's something to say good about this movie. This, the second movie, Pray at Night. The premise here is uh, Christina. I don't know um, the other guy, Christine, but it's Christina Hendricks is the big name uh, actor. Martin Henderson from Grey's Anatomy. Uh, Dr. Nathan Riggs from Grey's Anatomy is where he's from. And then uh, Bailey Madison, who is Isabel in Brothers. Uh, don't be afraid of the dark. Just go with it. Parental guidance. Oh, um, okay. She was Maybell in Bridge to Terabithia. Uh, so she was the little sister on that. Apparently she was she's uh, young Snow White in Once Upon a Time, too. And so this is her kind of being, you know, breaking free from more... Uh, you know, kids from her kid uh, per, uh, persona into a more. She started to become, you know, started to take on more adult uh, R-rated material. Like this is a girl who was all over the Disney Channel growing up. I think she had a recurring role. No, she's just two episodes of like Corey in the House, uh, R.L. Stein's The Haunting Hour. She was on a six-episode arc of Wizards of Waverly Place, where she her character has. It's own Wikipedia article. Or does it just go to... Yeah, it has its own Wikipedia article. Specifically for her character. But, um... She's, now she's kind of... Uh, how old is she now? She was not, Oh, God, she's my nephew's age. She's 18 years old right now. Uh, that's crazy to think about. That that's, that's, there's a whole generation of young actors coming up that are my nephew's age. And I'm, I'm going to be turning 30 this year. Christ... Uh, but yeah, uh, she plays Bailey Madison plays the uh, the young girl, the teenage daughter in this movie, and they kind of uh, set it up in dialogue. They kind of reveal what happened. Basically, she's a rebel. She wears a Ramones T-shirt, even though she probably you know she, all the Ramones were dead by the time she by the time she bought that at probably a thrift store. Um, but you know she she's a punk and she she. She, you know, her grade slid, and she gets in trouble at school all the time. And so her parents decide they want to send her to a boarding school, to so that because they don't know what else to do. Because their parent, they, their parent, you know, their, the parenting they've been trying hasn't been working. And so, uh, I get they did a trip to their aunt and uncle's trailer park to spend time together as a family before she leaves. Okay, so. Um, the daughter is in staying with the aunt and uncle, but, uh, uh, but I guess, I think it's, uh, Christina Hendricks's aunt and uncle own a trailer park that's mo that's kind of, that's, that's kind of empty leading into the winter. And so this is their last trip together as a family. And so they go to this secluded trailer park to visit their aunt and uncle uh, and it's revealed in the prologue that the aunt and uncle were were met by the killers from the last movie, Dollface, Pinup Girl, and Man in the Mask. Because apparently they were they they're never given those names in the movie, but those are the names of the three killers. Uh, Dollface being the blonde, Pinup Girl being the brunette, and then of course Mask Man in the Mask being the big guy in the potato sack. And this time around, it plays out more like a campy 80s slasher. You've got the 80s pop soundtrack, the 
mixed with a John Carpenter-esque synth track and uh, the with the uh, crediting and the and the and the and the titling all being with y'all using the same style of font as the 80 slasher like Halloween knockoffs did and it plays out like an 80 slasher movie it's campy and fun and the and the one thing I'll give this movie over the strangers at least the characters in this movie put up a fight you know like at least they they're proactive and they're not all that like there are a couple of moments of stupidity like like you know they hear a noise it's like Who's there? Don't ask who's there, dumbass. Just leave. But, you know, but there are, you know, but they, like the son, uh, Luke, played by Lewis Pullman, who doesn't have a Wikipedia page. Um, let me see his IMDb. Uh, he, you know, he's, you know, he, he puts up a fight. Uh, Bailey Madison uh, even p- is able to pick up a shotgun at one point and, bla- and blast uh Blasted some of these uh, guys. Um, Lewis Pullman. No, re- I no relation to the late Bill Pullman. It doesn't look like, or else they would or they would say, uh, "Lean on Pete and Aftermath." Them that follow. Larry. Okay, he was uh, Larry Riggs, the son in Battle of the Sexes. That's his biggest sort of claim to fame besides this movie. Um. But he's got to be something. So he's doing something called Bad, Bad Times at the El Royale, from set in the '60s in a dilapidated hotel in Lake Tahoe. Huh. Anyway, uh, Dakota Johnson and Chris Hemsworth, John Hamm, Nick Offerman, Jeff Bridges. Huh. I'll have to keep out an eye out for that. Apparently, that's coming out later this year. Um. So yeah, Lewis Pullman is does all right as the son. Bailey Madison is a great sort of like. You know, one of those kind of, you know, teenage girls in a slasher movie. Christina Hendricks is alright as the mom. I feel like she does a better job. There's, you know, this says, you know, she does, you, you'll see her do better in that, uh, what's the show she's doing now? Uh, uh, Good, Good Girls? Uh, yeah, Good Girls over on, um, what's it? NBC? Is this an NBC or is this a... What is what what uh, network is this? Ah, crap! It's not Universal. So yeah, NBC. Uh, I feel like that she she's better off on that. That probably has better writing than this. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, it's still fun. You know, it's still a lot of fun. Like it's a dumb, campy slasher movie. It this does more for the slasher genre than the first movie did. Like people are calling the first one the a classic, and no, it's a Dumb, poorly executed horror movie. This feels more like a slasher. This feels like an 80s slasher movie that you would rent out like a blockbuster or something, you know? This feels like something you would want to check out. And it, it you know, from the, from the, like, there's a whole scene where, like, every day, um, Cold Eclipse of the Heart plays while the while the characters fight each other in a pool in the pool at the trailer park. This is this is camp and like there's like neon lights all around them. It's it's fun and campy and stupid and 
And I'm really curious if they try to do a sequel after this. Because technically the actors for the slashers have changed. And I almost wonder if, like, that could be the thing. Where the the slashers have the same archetype. It's a blonde girl in a mask, a brunette in the mask, and a, and a big dude. And then it just switches from location to location. And it becomes its own horror franchise. I could totally see that happening. That could be fun. You know, if it, if it had the same kind of style and campiness as this, this would be something, this could be a series I dig into and then say, skip the first one. It takes itself too seriously. But, uh, you know, if you're into 80s style slasher, not, you know, throwbacks, then you just have fun at this. This is, this feels like one of the latter day Friday the 13th or Halloween sequels, you know? Uh it's and I had a lot, a lot more fun than I expected to, given the first movie. Uh, so uh, I did see a preview of Love Simon this weekend, but I'll save the review for next since it's, that it's only a week away, and uh, we'll get into our second anniversary with a trip down memory lane. You want to hear four badass women discuss and dissect modern and classic horror films. Join us at Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, a good ghoul's guide to horror. Oh! On the gummy cat Don't read the Latin. Do you know that in the world of the insane, you will find a kind of truth more terrifying than fiction? I don't know, I doubt any of you, really, have known me as the solitary nerd, but that's how the Popcorn Junkie started. It started as a video podcast where I would review the new releases of the week, and I did it as the moniker of the solitary nerd before giving up on that and just doing a self-sustaining podcast, and here I am now, two years later. Uh, My first one was, in fact... My first release was for the movies that came out March 8th of, of 2016. Uh, so a full, ye- full two years ago is when the first episode of uh, Popcorn Junkie, the podcast, came out in 2016. It's crazy to think about. And uh, so for this anniversary special, I decided to dig back through the archives... And pull out my fa- my favorite and least favorite movies to come out in the years that I missed. So you saw 2016 and 17. Well, not saw. You heard. Uh, my 2016 and 17 favorite and least favorite. And I didn't do Blandest. I didn't pick that up until 2016. But uh, for the 2012 when I started making... Started reviewing movies to 2015... Which, 14 and 15, I completely missed because I, I never recorded anything for those. But I still made the list for them. So I'll give, I wanted to give you, as a special treat for two years of podcasting, my, break, my 
favorite and least favorite movies of from 2012 to 2015. And you could actually watch the 12 and 13 fa- uh, best and worst slash favorite and least favorite over on Daily Motion, as well as my attempt at a Godzilla retrospective and even my early Let's Play attempts. Uh, I tried to do Pokemon and I tried to do. Uh, I did. A, there's a full on Jurassic Park for the Game Gear playthrough. So you can check all that out on dailymotion.com slash solitary nerd. So if you want to check all that stuff out, you can go there and see the kind of crap I used to make as a, as a, as a video reviewer and a nostalgia critic knockoff. Because that's exactly what it was. I was trying to do the Nostalgia Critic four years into the Nostalgia Critic run. <laughs> so I was a bit late to that train, sadly. But let's get into it. Uh, for for uh, best, I had to dig back through because my list is kind of scattershot. Uh, it's, 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 it's like almost in the order that I watch them almost. Because it's not listed by number. So... Breaking it down from the video I, I, I made of it, uh, number 10 was Haywire, the Steven Soderbergh uh, movie that featured Gina Carano. And I love, I, I, I haven't revisited, but from what I remember, I do love that, and I love her in it, I love that action style, I love the, you know, it's a solid, you know, sort of spy thriller sort of thing, uh, you know, rogue agent kind of storyline, and she does all right in it. And you know, I'm glad that she's still hanging around. Uh, you know, she she made you know she had a great uh, appearance in Deadpool as well. And uh, and you know, I'm so glad that she's hanging in there and still making movies where she can. But and, and Haywire was a great introduction for her to break from MMA to filmmaking. You know, and to be an action hero. And I think she still has. I think she, I think she needs to work on her charisma. Stoderberg is able to get that out of any actor. He's able to make Channing Tatum into a great actor. And he's able to get good performances out of the likes of Jennifer Lopez. And so she's good in that movie because he's able to get that out of his actors. But that, but uh, I, I've yet to see her really showcase any real charisma since then. Like, even in Deadpool, she's kind of like the stoic, bad guy, kind of tough girl. But I feel like there's more, she could do more with that if she worked on it. Um, next up was Sinister, uh, which I mentioned I was introduced to the writer, C. Robert Cargill, through Spill.com. And I kind of play a clip from the Monsters vs. Alien review, which is the first one I saw from them. And Cargill uh, left Spill to pursue writing full-time. And so he's written a several series of novels, uh, Dreams and Shadows being the first one. I forget what the series is called. I think it may be the Dreams of the Shadow series. But uh, he's also written... The, he wrote the Doctor Strange movie and should be working on the sequel. He did drop that he was working on the Deus Ex uh, movie based on the video game. But he works uh, with Scott Derrickson mainly because he, that's where he, he... The two of them made Sinister together. That's their first movie together. And they worked kind of been working together since then. And... Cargill is a solid writer. You know, Sinister was one of, was my favorite horror movie to come out that year, and I still hold it up as a solid horror, you know, supernatural thriller. It it it, it has all the right beats to go from to to take you from 
everything is fine to nope, everything is not fine, everything is really not fine, this is not good. And it doesn't get super, it doesn't get really supernatural until towards the end. You know, and, and much like The Exorcist, it doesn't play up the supernatural elements until later. Because for the most part, you can just assume, okay, this is just crazy stuff. You know, even though it feels like there's ghost stuff, that, that could just as easily be, you know, tricks of the mind or something. You know, it doesn't have to be, uh, it's not, you, it's not, you can assume it's supernatural early on, but for the most part, it, it's, it is just creepy early on. It doesn't get supernatural until way towards the end. After that was The Hobbit. Desolation of Smog, but I don't know if I would include that if I rewatched the movies of 2012 uh, again. I doubt that because the Hobbit trilogy really soured on me eh, the longer it went on. And as much as I enjoyed parts of the first one, I doubt I would put it on a best of list. I think I was still on that uh, hype train from the first uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, and I was just excited to see more from the Hobbit, you know, more of that universe and. And spoilers, the 2013 has another Hobbit movie on it. But I don't think I put the third one on my 2014 list. But I'll double check again. Um, after The Hobbit was Paranorman. I still love Paranorman. It's still one of my favorite. I just rewatched it. I think, uh, well, I think I did Paranorman for the Halloween Spooptacular uh, a couple years ago. My first, my first year. But... Um, but I, but I, uh, but, uh, but I, I could watch that movie over and over again. It's one of my favorite spooky kids movies. Uh, fun story. I tried to show Paranorman to my nephews, uh, and my nephews are little, little pains in the ass and little smart Alex. And so my one nephew was like, when's the scary part happen? When's the scary part happen? When's the scary part happen? And he's being a little, you know, obnoxious brat. And I actually was just like, just shut up and watch the movie! And I had to leave what was, what is currently my place, what was then my brother's place, and take a walk around the block because I was so frustrated with my nephew just being an obnoxious little twerp. Um, after Paranorman, I put Dread down. Dread, I think, honestly, would be higher uh, in a re in a revamp of this list because Dread still holds itself up as an amazing action movie and a, a real disappointment that more people didn't see it because we never got a sequel and I still would I would adore playing a first person shooter in that universe because I feel like it's built for that there you you need it needs that video game tie in where you get to play a cop on Dread's force you know. Or you get to be you get to be dread and take down the bad guys, you know? That would be awesome. And it just sucks that more people weren't into it, you know? Um Yeah, after uh but then after uh Dread, I put Ted, the the Marky Mark and uh what's his name? Um Oh god, what's his name for uh Family Guy, Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> Slipped on his name for a second, but yeah, that movie really ranked high. Uh, I once again, I would have, I've really soured on Seth MacFarlane's style of comedy. I think Ted was a breath of fresh air from the Family Guy, 
But after that, Ted 2 was meandering and pretty bad. And then um, his A Million Ways to Die in the West was really stupid and not very good. And then, yeah, just the continued efforts. This was when the Cleveland show was airing that I, com- that I, that I complimented Ted I think on rewatching it's not gonna it's gonna have all the same problems I have with Seth MacFarlane. It just it wasn't Family Guy, so I I gave it a pass. I think on rewatch it's not it probably doesn't hold up. I think it's I think it's also like yeah it plays into that. I was just out of college by that point, so I think it plays into that style of humor. And I think on rewatch I it, it may it may be pushed down to number ten if at all. It may be an honorable mention. I don't even know if it'll end up on the list. It would have ended up on the list otherwise. But yeah, Ted rated higher than Dread, which goes to show my mind play mind space in 2012, where I thought a stupid stoner comedy was better than Dread, which was one of the best action movies to come out that year. Um, after uh, Ted was Rick and Ralph, which I still rank highly. I, I pretty I I had to have put it on my. Uh, best of all favorite movies of all time list, right? I, I, it's only been it's been four weeks. It's been a month since I did that list, but I, I had to have ranked yeah number eight. Good. I would I would hope so because I love Wreck It Ralph. It's my favorite modern day Disney movie. Like I love Wreck It Ralph more than Zootopia, and I just rewatched Zootopia, and it still holds up. Um. So yeah, Wreck It Ralph, amazing, phenomenal, loved it. Um, it, it, on upon you know revisiting this list, it, I, it should have been higher, kind of, but uh, it's still you know number four out of out of the top ten is still pretty good considering what uh, the other three are. But I think it probably would have been my number three or number two because number three was Les Mis, and I think I held. I think at the time I liked Les Mis because it, it gave a it, it made a you know a it made itself. Uh, out to be the stage show on the screen, and I, ne- I never really seen the stage show live, so I, I got that. I kind of got that experience, even though it wasn't perfect. I feel like it, that should have been lower down. But I was, I, th- I had such a good time with it because I loved the. I, I fell in love. I re fell in love with the music. Uh, but I feel like, yeah, on retros- in retrospect, it just wasn't that good. But. I, that's this is where my headspace was at. Is this this is this is all kind of gut feeling and emotional. And in retrospect, I feel like uh, after the fact, uh, Les Mis should be lower, Wreck It Ralph should be higher, and Ted and The Hobbit probably shouldn't be on the top ten at all. But uh, I wasn't. I don't think I saw that many movies. I'm not seeing new releases every week like I was, you know, like I am now. So I think in retrospect, seeing that many movies kind of puts this list in a. It, you know, in, hind- in hindsight, not the not the most uh, not the not the most thorough, as it were. Uh, after Les Mis was Argo, I still think Argo is a solid movie. Uh, it deviates. A, I, I, I think it deviates a bit from what really happened, but the movie itself is a solid political thriller. I think you know, and it's it it really. I think it really. I think it might. I think it holds up. Um, I know they're, 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 it, it, it definitely has an issue with um, Ben Affleck playing uh, a Hispanic character. 
in real life. Um, you know, the, the character who was who did who did all this that that he plays is a, is Hispanic. And so the fact that he's playing him and when he could have just as easily hired any number of uh, Hispanic actors is it feels kind of you know sh- sh- you know shady. Uh, I wasn't going to say the other thing, uh, so no, so we don't need an explicit marking on this episode. But I still think the movie holds up. Love John Goodman in it. Brian Cranston is excellent in it, and the story itself it, it needed to be told. You know, I think, like, ultimately, it's, you know, it was revealed that the Canadian government did more than the than the character Ben Affleck plays. But it's still, it's still a crazy turn of events that happened, you know? I mean, they used, uh, they used a fake film, and they had, they had real production work go into planning out this film in order to get these American diplomats not dipl- well, diplomats in the sense that they worked at the embassy, but they, in order to get these Americans out of Iran during the revolution, they just, they were, uh, they, they, you know, did a heist. It was, it's a heist movie for all intents and purposes, which makes sense because Ben Affleck just before that did The Town, another heist movie. It just so happens the heist this time is a rescue movie, is a rescue, not a theft. But it's still, I still think it's solid. It probably would have been lower. Maybe Record Ralph would be higher. I don't know. But um, obviously, number one on uh, on the, out of 2012 was The Avengers. The Avengers is still my favorite of the MCU movies. It just comes together so perfectly, and you never thought it would have worked. You, everyone thought going into the MCU thought The Avengers. Oh man, they're not going to make that work. And yet everything coalesced into a working product and they've only gotten better since then and i i but i still think the avengers is the is the peak for the moment we'll see what if avengers infinity war can top that i know black panther is right behind the avengers in terms of my favorite mcu movies and it, but uh yeah avengers is still the high watermark i think so we'll see what what's to come? They can only go up, honestly, because they've they've been doing solids for the most part. Uh, least favorite of that year, my worst ten, uh, Red Tails. I I came off I came off a bit douchey in that saying. Oh, pff, what does freaking George Lucas know about racism in Hollywood? In retrospect, oh yeah, racism in Hollywood is a thing. Yeah, I, I I mainly came off. I mainly pointed out that George Lucas saying his Red Tails movie couldn't be made because it's all black leading cast. That may have been a thing in 2012, probably. But at the same time, he made a really bad movie. Red Tails is not a good movie. It's loaded with stereotypes, and it ultimately. Um, does a detriment to the Tuskegee Airmen because there is a good story to be told from it. George Lucas isn't the one to tell it. He should have been left to do the production design during the dogfights and leave a real screenwriter and a real director to do the dialogue because George Lucas sucks at directing human beings. The prequels proved that. But yeah, um, Red Tail, I, I still think Red Tails, I don't know if it would frustrate me more nowadays, but I, I definitely wasn't a good movie. And. You know, shock of shocks, George Lucas is going to show up again in my in my least favorite and least favorite in my least favorite category. I think the next year, um, 
I think after that was uh, actually hold on. Uh, let me pull up the video because I need to. Um, okay, so uh, I mean, uh, I had to dig through the video to get the finalized list. It was maybe Red Tails was number nine. Okay, yeah. Number 10 was actually an indie comedy called For Good Time, Call Ellipsis. And it stars uh, Seth Rogen's wife. <laughs> and it's, I think it's co-written by her. And sadly, it, it just, it's, a, it's an archaic comedy about phone sex lines. And it's just ultimately not very good. Like, the two leads are supposed to be, like, gal pals. And then the betrayal is that the lead actress wants to get a real job with, you know, benefits and healthcare. And, you know, the, the reason, you know, the reason, you, you know, uh, you know a, a, a stable living. Because, God forbid, you do sex phone work on the side. Also, it's, it was 2012. They couldn't do, like, a webcam show uh, a ch- they couldn't do chat bots or something. The, the, it was. It felt like this would have been a '90s premise. They they start a phone sex line, but it takes place in the present day of 2012. Yeah, for a good time, call was an, is a really not good movie. It ultimate and on top of that, it's just not very well executed as a comedy either. You know, if for a sex comedy, it's kind of a low bar, and um. Uh, number eight. Let's see. Number eight was. Uh, I do make a bit a nice bit in the video where I say where I show a clip from uh, Inglorious Bastards with uh, with um, with uh, Christoph Waltz, and I say racism done right. And then in the subtitle, it's dot dot dot. Wait dot dot dot. So like I do like hey racism done right. Wait a second. Wait a second. Ah damn it. Um, that's the kind of stuff you can expect from me. And especially, expect a lot of pony stuff too, because honestly, I was, um, I was, I was big into the ponies uh, when that was coming out. So, I mean, there are two, um, cutaway gags where I'm like, where like, oh, the camera shuts off and we have, we're having technical difficulties. I do that in both my best and worst of for 2012. And, um. And they both feature ponies. So, have fun looking for those. Um, number eight was The Apparition, which was a really cheaply done horror movie starring Tom Felton, of all people, and and one of the actresses, but not Kristen Stewart, from the Twilight movies. It it really is pretty bad, folks. Uh, it's, you know, I thought it's even cheaper than The Strangers was, and The Strangers was done on the cheap. Um, number seven was an, was another had another has another Twilight uh, connection. It's Robert Pattinson in Cosmopolis by David Cronenberg, and it it it's pretend it is that sort of pretentious thing that's so smart and you know sophisticated and it's just really stupid and boring. And I could, I would not watch Cosmopolis again if I you know given the choice unless it was to be unless it's to be make fun of it. Number six. Natch Battleship Hasbro's Battleship movie. Uh, do I really need to say more? Uh, it's aliens invading, and they use uh, battleship as battleship pegs as their uh, their weapon of choice. 
it's really stupid, really trying hard to be Transformers, and it and it doesn't uh, work. Uh, number five was Chernobyl Diaries, which became a running uh, bit with me and one and one of my roommates. Um, basically, the director of Paranormal Activity is Ukrainian. He wanted to make a movie set in Chernobyl uh, because the, that because it took place in present day Ukraine. Uh, Chernobyl is the uh, the the plant that uh, either the plant or the city that in it's a, that was in the Ukraine. But the movie itself is really really bad it, it like i say it gives up partway through the like after the introduction where it's at, where it looks like there's somebody holding the camera they give up holding the ca- that somebody holding the camera the camera is just a sentient being that follows them around it is really bad um the, number four was that's my boy uh which yeah it, it is it's one of adam sandler's worst movies it features it, it, the. I, I, what, I, I, I'm pulling lines from my review. Um, you know, in uh, uh, in the in the world of Happy Madison, yo, know, teacher molestation and uh, and statutory rape is but a plot point for Adam Sandler and his crew. Uh, number three, the Eddie Murphy movie. The last, I think, the last Eddie Murphy movie, movie we've had. Hold on, let me see what he, if let me see if he's been in anything since. I don't think he has. I think this was the, the movie that killed Eddie Murphy's career. Norbert couldn't do it. Pluto Nash couldn't do it. I think uh, a, th- a thousand words did it because after that he was in the TV movie of Beverly Hills Cop, which I don't understand. Something something okay. Something called Mister Church, and then he's just been doing more Shrek stuff. A thousand words. And Tower Heist essentially killed Eddie Murphy. He tried to come back with some drama that that has number that has a thirty-seven on Metacritic. But uh, what is this Beverly Hills Cop TV movie that came out in two thousand thirteen? Oh, okay. It's he makes a cameo as um, as Axel Foley, and then it's about his son Aaron Foley. Uh, shows how well uh, people paid attention to that. I don't even remember it coming out. I remember it was a thing. They wanted to make a TV series, but apparently there was a TV movie that got released, but with no stills from it on Amazon, on IMDb. But yeah, a thousand words nearly killed, pretty much killed, put the nail in the coffin for Eddie Murphy's career. And, um, and, 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 and it's fitting that that's the one that killed his career. Uh, uh, number two was uh, Devil's. De- what is it? De- what, what was the thing? Uh, the Devil Inside it was an Exorcist found footage movie that ended after sixty minutes, telling you to go to a website. And I play a clip of of an actual audience reaction to that nonsense. <laughs> and then the number one was a movie I still have yet to finish: Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie. I it, that movie killed any interest I had in watching Tim and Eric's show because apparently people love referencing it, love, think it's hilarious, but I couldn't get into it because my first introduction to Tim and Eric was the movie, and the movie I co- I don't even think I made it past half an hour in. I couldn't finish the movie. It was in fact that bad. Uh, moving on to 2013. Um, let me pull up the list. Where is it? 
2013. This one I do did remember to put the numbering in, so we'll do it. Make this quick. Uh, this is the end. Uh, I enjoyed that honestly more than uh, the world's end. I, I think this is the end do, uh, does more with this, you know, more limited premise. Whereas the world's end had a lot more to live up to because of the hype building up because it was the end of the Cornetto trilogy. And sadly, it just ultimately didn't meet my expectations. It's still solid. But I, it's definitely not... It wasn't one of my favorite movies to come out that year. Uh, number nine, Philomena. Still touted as one of my... One of the best religious movies I've ever seen. Because it, it, it actually deals with crises of faith. And it's not so high and mighty. It, 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 it's an interesting and really beautiful story that Steve Coogan told brilliantly. Uh, number eight, the Netflix documentary The Square. About the uh, Arab Spring in Egypt. And how it kind of went to crap after the Muslim Brotherhood assumed power and the army had to retake control. And it just showcases all, all these different aspects of the revolution and how it just all went to hell afterwards. Number seven, Hunger Games Catching Fire. I still think it's the best of the Hunger Games series. It does, that's its peak. And, it does, and sadly, it's only downhill from there. I still think I, th- I think it's the best that that premise had going for it, and I wished Mockingjay could have lived up to it, but it, sadly it couldn't. Uh, number six, Wolf of Wall Street. I you know it, it's like it's a movie that you need to set the time aside to watch because it is three hours long, but I still I still love Leo is so damn charismatic in that movie. It it makes it worth watching, and it's just so insane. With depicting the debauchery that happens on Wall Street. It is just a sight to behold. Uh, number five, Her. Still one of my favorite romances in the past decade. Uh, I think it does a lot more with this idea of technology as as its own entity and falling in love with it. And it, it's really interesting. And I think Spike Jones did something beautiful and unique with his premise. Uh, number four, The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smaug. I think, once again... Like with uh, The Hobbit, uh, uh, what is it, uh, uh, The Journey Begins, um, uh, 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 something, convent, uh, something Adventure, A New Adventure, uh, whatever, the, whatever the first uh, Hobbit movie was called. I still think uh, Desolation of Smog, The Desolation of Smog improves, but um, it, once again, it, it, doesn't really, it doesn't really hold up. I think upon rewatching uh, that ho- none of the Hobbit trilogy would have made it onto my best of list if I wasn't still riding that hype train from the first top from the first Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think since then the Hobbit has uh, just dro- dropped precipitously in terms of uh, my you know my my uh, belief in its quality. <laughs> I was willing to forgive a lot. Uh, number three was Rush, which was the story of Nicky Lauda and, um, what's his name? What's Chris Hemsworth's name in that? Um, uh, hold on. Crap. Uh, it's, it's a Formula One movie, and it's, um, it was Nicky Lauda, I remember, and, um, James Hunt. James Hunt was a British Formula One racer. Nicky Lauda was a German and it 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 one of Ron Howard I think it's one of Ron Howard's best movies 
in, in a long time. We'll see how he does with Solo. But I loved Rush, and I thought it was a phenomenal biopic. And a, even a, even um, Lauda himself, who was, who was still alive at the time, touted it as everything he told Ron Howard ended up in the film. So, you know, so I, I was really proud of, bio, you know, these kinds of biopics really trying to stick true to the, to the, the person that they're talking about. Number two was Pacific Rim. Still one of my favorite movies of all time. You know, just above Wreck-It Ralph on my top 100 favorite movies. I'm really pumped for the sequel. Yeah, Pacific Rim. Just phenomenal. And then number one that year was 12 Years a Slave, which, yeah, I mean... It really was just a mo- the most important movie to come out that year. I It's not one of my favorite movies of all time. It's not one I revisit. But for when it came out, 12 Years a Slave was an important movie. And really, it, it really it really showcased, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, oh, Steve McQueen. I, I, I was like, he shares the same name with the white stunt guy. Yeah. Um, it really showcased McQueen as a director, and I'm really, I'm really, I'm just really glad it exists at telling Solomon Northrup's story. Uh, worst of that year, uh, I want to keep, I want to keep things plugging along so I don't keep you all, uh, for so I don't keep you all. And plus, I've got a, I'm recording this the morning of um, the twelfth, and I have to get into work at nine o'clock in the morning for a meeting. And it's 8.30 at the time of this recording. So I need to keep plugging. Uh, number 10. Number 10 worst of that year. White House Down. I I thought it was. I personally found it way worse. And I think it's because I don't have. I have a very low tolerance for Roland Emmerich. And I don't think he's made a movie since then. I, I, no. He did uh, the Independence Day sequel. Which is also garbage. Um, number 9. Battle of the Year. Chris Brown and the Dance Battle movie. That's all you need to know. Uh, number eight, twenty-one and over. Project X done straight. Uh, done as a straight movie. It's really bad. It really soured my taste for Miles Teller early on. And uh, number seven, Scary Movie five. Yep, they made that. That was a thing. Number six, Tyler Perry's Temptations of a Marriage Counselor. Uh, everyone gets AIDS at the end. Uh, it's one of Tyler Perry's worst dramas I've ever. See, and he's not great at drama either, so that's saying something. I'm really curious how acrimony plays out. Maybe he'll actually make something decent for a change. Number five, Texas Chainsaw 3D. Just not a very good uh, Texas Chainsaw movie. Just really drops the ball on that one. And it's not that hard to make a good Texas Chainsaw movie. Number five, number four, The Lone Ranger. Overbloated, of all, all, even offensive. Just terrible, terrible choices made by Disney all around. Number three, Walking with Dinosaurs 3D. Offensive to me on a personal level because Walking with Dinosaurs was one of my favorite, you know, franchises from the BBC. And I really, I, I even love the really stupid stuff like chasing dinosaurs with that, where that Australian Steve Irwin wannabe uh, is interacting with the CGI dinosaurs. That Primeval Show I think is solid. Uh, this movie is really dumbed down and ruined, and it just is just an awful, awful experience. And the last two are two are the two anthology comedies that came out that year: Movie Forty Three, just awful, 
terrible movie and inappropriate comedy even worse than movie 43 made by Steve the Shamwell guy he he made and he and if you remember uh, if you had cable growing up in the 90s you prob in the early 2000s you probably remember the underground comedy movie inappropriate comedy is his way to try and make that movie legit just all around awful awful stuff Alright. Apparently they have like five versions of my of my uh fourteen list for some reason. Um anyway, uh moving along to two thousand fourteen, we've got uh The Hobbit, uh The Battle of Five Armies. Well I think I almost put that on there out of begrudging uh out of almost begrudgingly because I was I was just I was just still on that Hobbit hype train. I loved that universe, and I thought Peter Jackson was going to do fine. And in retrospect, it's it's all a hot mess. So I would probably replace that with uh, either The Fall of Our Stars, maybe Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, or Twenty Two Jump Street. Um, who knows? But uh, number nine was Nightcrawler. I still think that's a phenomenal thriller, and I think that I'm really disappointed. Roman J. Israel Esquire was his fault. Was the director's follow up? Because um, Nightcrawler is so just. Mm, phenomenal movie uh, Number 8, The Book of Life Which I still think is excellent I think it's a great companion piece to Coco But they're great on two different levels Coco's a great family movie Book of Life is a great fantasy adventure So they're not trying to do the same thing But they both incorporate Dia de los Muertos And they're just solid stuff all around Number 7 was Dinosaur 13 Which is about Sue the Tyrannosaurus And the debacle that went into her uh, excavation and even who owned the rights to uh, to her and so who got the money for her. It was a, an amazing documentary. I still need to watch more documentaries, sadly. I haven't been keeping up with that. This is the last, I think this is the last time a documentary shows up on my list. Uh, number six, Into the Woods. I, and I think that would be lower. Maybe that would be my number 10. Um... But yeah, I still think Into the Woods is a fun interpretation of the play. The play is still infinitely better. But the movie we got from Disney was actually kind of fun and solid for the most part. Uh, Number five, Gone Girl. Really just taut psychological thriller. I think it still holds up. I don't know if it, I don't know if it holds up as well, but I still, I I was, I was blown away by it at the time. And I, I still hold it in high regard. Number four, the Lego movie. Yep. Just phenomenal. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Um, number three, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, I'm not sure which I prefer more, Volume 1 or Volume 2. But I know that first Guardians was amazing and blew me blew me out of the water when it came out. Uh, number two, Selma. Uh, speaking of Ava DuVernay, her, set, her, for her, my introduction to her was number two on my list of favorite movies to come out that year. Uh, and number, the, number one was Captain America the Winter Soldier. Uh, I think because it, it, it wants to be taken more seriously and it wants to try and tell a better story uh, than most of the other Marvel movies were doing at the time that I put it higher than Selma. But yeah, they're both all, they're just, just all solid stuff that come out in 2014. Uh, least favorite of that year, uh, Transcendence, Johnny Depp Becomes the Internet. Just not a good... Hasn't been a good run for Johnny Depp. Because uh, he shows up later on the list, too. 
Number nine, Into the Storm. Richard Armitage, fresh off of the Hobbit movies, is a storm chaser in this really stupid wannabe found footage shaky cam movie. Number eight, Ouija. Just awful, awful horror movie all around. Number seven, That Awkward Moment. Uh, just really, really, poor Michael B. Jordan. He'll never be able to live that down. Uh, number six, Endless Love. A terrible remake to a probably not good movie in the first place. Uh, number five, Lucy. Still think it's one of Luc Besson's worst movies that he has ever made. Uh, number four, Sex Tape. Just, just why, man? If you don't get... I, I mean, I, you can only be so stupid with your characters before we give up on them. Uh, number three, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. Uh, I was I was just done by Frank Miller by this point. So to see him and Robert Rodriguez try to do Sin City again, it, the magic just wasn't there. And Frank Miller has become just a awful, awful human being. He may have always been. It's just more prominent now. Number two, another Johnny Depp featuring uh, Kevin Smith's Tusk. Just why awful? Like you could, I could get doing a comedic take on the human centipede premise, but it, no, man, just just awful, awful movie. And it's made on a joke. Like it's a joke that he and his co-host on his podcast made. And it just turned out to be an awful movie. And then he spun that out into a probably even worse movie that I have yet to see called Yoga Hosers. So, featuring Johnny Depp's daughter and Kevin Smith's daughter. So, fun times there that I'll probably skip until, you know, something forces me to watching it. And the number one worst movie of 2014, God's Not Dead. Yep. Third one's coming out in a couple of weeks. Can't wait. Uh, just awful, awful stuff from Pure Flix. Okay, here we go. And lastly, for 2015, number 10, The Peanuts Movie. Still, I, still the, I think one of the best uh, movies set in that universe. It gets all the right beats from the, from the franchise, right? And I feel like, I feel like that's the one we should be getting a sequel to, you know? I feel like Blue Sky should just become the new Peanuts studio. I feel like that would be great for them. You know, it could give them a franchise that they could be proud of, you know? We don't need Ferdinand. We don't need the likes of... We don't need any more Ice Age movies. Rio was kind of played out. Make more of the Peanuts movies. You know, make more Peanuts movies. Do a summer camp one. Do do some holiday specials. Do that, you know? Anyway, uh, number nine... Uh, one of my favorite Christmas movies and one of my favorite horror movies, Krampus. Love Krampus. <laughs> it's so dark and twisted and, and just hateful in the treatment of its characters. And just such a spite-filled movie and I love every second of it. I don't know if this would hold up. Um, number eight is American Ultra. Um, I liked it at the time. I don't know how well it holds up. I Maybe I would... Drop it down. Krampus would be eight, and then number ten would maybe be uh, Ant Man or something, or uh, Spectre. But um, not. Nah, I, I don't know. I have to revisit. I never revisited most of these, uh, except for a couple. Uh, Kingsman: The Secret Service was number seven. Sadly, the sequel didn't live up to it. Although there were parts I enjoyed, but that first one was just a nice kick. You know, the shot of energy. You know, it's like a shot of monster energy or something. You know. 
Uh, number six, straight out of Compton. I, 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 I th- I'm assuming it deviates a bit from the truth because it is two of the surviving members producing it. But at the same time, I think it's a solid retelling of, the, of what happened to NWA and how they came to be where they are. Um, number five, Ex Machina. Uh, glad to see the guy had a nice uh, follow-up with Annihilation this year. Uh, Ex Machina was, an, I think, is still a great taut thriller with uh, this idea and with excellent special effects. You know, and on a shoestring budget to begin and uh, to boot. Uh, number four, Inside Out. Uh, Inside Out, I think, is just a phenomenal uh, Pixar movie, and I w- and I hope that they get back into that mode. And maybe pick Incred- I have high hopes for Incredibles too. I think it'll be fine. But I hope they go back to making more original stuff, and but and we'll have to wait. But we'll have to wait and see for that. Number three, Star Wars: A Force, The Force Awakens, my third favorite Star Wars movie at the time, uh, which has since been um, replaced. It's bu- now bump, been bumped down to number four since uh, the release of The Last Jedi. Uh, uh, but I still think The Force Awakens is a great, re- you know, revamping of the series and build up. For what's to come, and I'm really glad it led into the Last Jedi, which uh, is still right behind Empire Strikes Back as far as my fa- as one of my favorite Star Wars movies. Um, number two was The Martian. Still think it's an excellent. Uh, it, it reminds you like, oh, Ridley Scott can really make good movies, guys. It's okay. And then he followed it up with a subpar Alien sequel. So, whoops. Uh, and then number one, 2015. I even f- remember filming this. I took silver cupcake icing, sprayed it on my mouth, and screamed, Witness me, Internet! I am awaited in Valhalla! Because Mad Max Fury Road, best movie to come out that year. Like, I think that's... I think that's accept- the accepted fact that that is the best movie to come out in 2015. Period. Like, what's better than Mad Max Fury Road? Honestly. What, what won 2016 Oscars? Who did they give the Oscar to? And why wasn't it Mad Max? Okay, that's for 2015. Okay, no, this is it. This is, yeah, this is the uh, Spotlight one. Never did see Spotlight. So, uh, yeah, it, most wins was Mad Max Fury Road, because of course, of course it is, because that, 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 that was the best movie to come out in 2015. There is no, there, there is no arguing that. Um, there's my worst of, there it is. Uh, for the worst of 2015, uh, number 10 was the Vacation remake, and surprisingly those guys were able to improve on it and do better the next time around uh, in terms of their writing. I forget. What was it I just saw that had them on it? Um, oh, uh, g- uh, just Game Night. They just did Game Night. So yeah, um, they turned around from being one of my worst, making one of my worst movies to making an excellent comedy this year. Pitch Perfect 2, and of course the sequel was on my least favorite of for the following year, but yeah, Pitch Perfect 2 was not a good movie though and I could, I still haven't finished the first pitch perfect because it's just it just doesn't for me man it it just I don't like that that I don't I think it's just horribly obnoxious and number eight Paul Blart 2 
Yep. Number seven, Jupiter Ascending. Yeah, I mean, once again, this isn't exactly like breaking new grounds. Uh, number six, Aloha, where Emma Stone plays a half-Chinese native Hawaiian woman. Yeah, that was a great idea. And uh, the movie itself is just not all that good of a romantic comedy. It's kind of dull for the most part. I don't, I don't get the high, you know, I don't get why it even exists. It's, it just, it's just a bland movie, and then they added on top whitewashing for it. Uh, number five, Jim and the Holograms. I mean, yeah, duh. Number four, Fantastic. Once again, just, like these, most of my picks for that this year weren't exact. Number three, Hot Pursuit. Uh, wait, what was Hot Pursuit? Oh, wait, wasn't Hot Pursuit for that freaking? Wasn't the deck strip? No. Oh God. Hot Pursuit was the Reese Witherspoon, Sofia Vergara comedy. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Oh, now I'm having bad memories. Oh, 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 it hurts. Oh. Um, yeah, yep. Number two, Mordecai. Granny Depp is just, just not having a good life. Oh, no, this is the year that had uh, George Lucas return. He didn't even make the list 2015 was that bad. Uh, Strange Magic came out that year. And yeah, it just an awful, awful kids movie. Nobody should be forced to watch that one. And then number one for 2015, the worst movie to come out that year, Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, yeah. I don't know if there was worse stuff out there, but those are the worst ones I saw. Uh, 2016 and, th- and 2017 were much more in-depth because uh, it, I was all able to see new movies every week so it's much more thorough what my favorite and least favorite are and i've also broken it down into the blandest movies i've seen so there's even a new there's even a new thing to consider uh yeah those that's kind of that those were what those are my uh thoughts on the movies leading up to when i became the popcorn junkie and I'm and if you, and once again, if you want to check out my stuff before the popcorn junkie, you can go to sol- dailymotion.com/solitarynerd, and all that and all the stuff that's surviving is there. I may dig through. I don't think I think I lost all the other stuff. I, it may be on a hard drive still, but I don't think I have any more of it. But yeah, that, what's uh, what's surviving from my days as the solitary nerd is over there on Daily Motion. And uh, let's wrap this up. So let's, we've only got two trailers for next week. First up, one I saw this weekend, Love, Simon. <laughs> hey, guys. How was the party? It was really fun. Aces. <laughs> he's wearing a woman's sweater, and he's drunk. Well, he didn't drive drunk, and he's home before curfew, so. That's what I thought we got. Right? Yeah, we're good parents. Yeah, we're good parents. Right? Yeah, Joshua Mellon, uh... And, oh, that's right. This is the second movie this year where Tony Hale is a part of a school administration. In 1517, the Paris, he was a teacher. Here, he's a vice principal. We walk gorging on carbs. So, I'm just like you, except I have one huge ass secret. Hey! I like your, your boots! I said I like your, your boots! Goodbye! Nobody knows I'm gay. <sighs> Simon versus the Homo Sabian agenda. What? Who do you think it is? Can I call you back? 
Dear Blue, I'm just like you. This was a mistake. It's nice to know there's another guy at school with the same secret. When did you first realize? It was a bunch of little things, like my first girlfriend. I think I'm falling in love with you. Wow, thank you. Be right back. I'll say that too. The prosthetics for little things, like young Simon having acne, are 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 pretty good too. So much about one person, it nearly kills me. Me too. I'm done living in a world where I don't get to be who I am. I deserve a great love story, and I want someone to share it with. Have you ever been in love? I think so. Love honestly. It's almost like I can feel you holding your breath. I'm supposed to be the one that Love fearlessly. And where and who knows that's supposed to be my thing. Love completely. This is about to get romantic as F. You're not into Abby, are you? Love Simon. But she's just not really my type. Not because she's black. I love black women. Not like Oh god, that scene was so adorable. Adorkable. Uh, that's that's lovely. Um, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert for that. It's good. It, it it's honestly gonna be it's gonna be hard to top on my favorite of this year. But yeah, love Simon. Uh, right, you know, spoiler alert for my recommendation. Go check it out now. Go check it out when it comes out next week. And then of course uh, the Tomb Raider new reboot based on the rebooted game uh, starring Alicia Vikander. Let's check out the latest trailer. Yeah, once again, I I don't know how well the movie is going to do, like how good that's going to be, but damn if a Vikander isn't giving a solid performance. Like she she knows how. I don't think I don't think it's in her to give a bad performance. I think she's she's such a good actress that even when she's doing a cheesy um, action adventure video game movie. She is willing to give all, give the give the best performance she wants to give. I love actors like that. Actors who are like, no, screw it, I'm doing it. I'm gonna give a good performance. Also, Walton Goggins is the bad guy. I mean, I, I'm good. To, it's good to always keep seeing him pop up. This is a trend that I could do without, though. Uh, yeah, the, the slow down pop song to be serious trailer music. It's like, yeah, yeah, we don't take you seriously. It's you just slowed down a pop song and made it a minor chord, made it a minor key. You must stop them, Laura. Promise me. Like that scene of her li- watching her dad, you can see her emotions. In that movie, you know, watching him. Ladies first. This March. Her legend. Begins. Yes, the the pickaxe here. Uh, is Lord. Alicia Vikander is Lord Croft. 
Yeah, I could. You can tell when CGI Laura shows up because it's when she's jumping, doing inhuman jumps, and and blasting through a tree branch. But for the most part, uh, it looks like Vikander is doing some excellent stunt work, uh, or you know, the the facial matching for her. Uh, is excellent. I don't know how much stunt work she did in this movie. But yeah, I'm excited for that. I can't wait for it. Um, so that'll be coming out. I'll probably do that on Friday or something. Uh, and and uh, then next week you'll hear my full thoughts on Love, Simon. Uh, spoiler, it is definitely staying on my lo- my favorite of 2018 for the time being. Uh, but with all that said, uh, it is time for the plugs because this second year anniversary is finally over so if you're listening to the popcorn junkie you're most likely listening to us through our homepage at gumbycatnetworks.com and hopefully you're about you're about you're going to start seeing some new stuff from us soon uh we're, we're finally going to start getting our act together and be a better podcasting network but for right now you can still check us out on gumbycatnetworks.com and check out all of our other fine programming uh the snark cast stuff that donna does um uh, Jim should be doing. Jim's Jim is prepping up for uh, Jim Hansen over on RPG is prepping up for season two. There's going to be a season two of RPG in the works, and um, you know uh, Mike and I are preparing to do our next Maja Day this week. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. Um, I know um, Vanessa and I have been talking about redo restarting uh, Fan of the Podcast again, but uh, this is all inside baseball stuff. Uh, but and uh, you'll find out more as it happens. You know, uh, we'll make the big announcements when stuff is finalized. But uh, yeah, um, and if you're not listening to us through the Gumby Cat Network site, you're probably listening to us through uh, the ver- various podcasting apps you have uh, through the Libsyn feed. So uh, whatever you're using, uh, whether it's uh, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, we're on now. We're over on Spotify. Uh, so if you want to check us out, all there. Uh, on all their whatever whatever you're using, if if you see us in the triple digits uh, under Popcorn Junkie, you're listening to the update, the most up to date feed, and there you can catch on all the pop, pop Popcorn Junkie goodness. And um, and if not, uh, send me an, me an email at popcornjunkie at gmail popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail dot com, and I'll see if I can't add my. I know I'm I have to pay to update to Spreaker. Which uh, gets me onto iHeartRadio. So I don't have that kind of money, man. I'm already paying for Libsyn. I need to start making some money on this, man, if I want to expand. But um, yeah, uh, so what, whatever you're using to listen to us, leave a five star rating and review and let people know that you like this. And uh, if, another way to do it is to share us on your various social media. Uh, our Facebook our Facebook home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie. And that's where all the big announcements are. New episode announcements. New, um, new, uh, when I'm seeing a new release. Uh, when, and, uh, I've, you know, and, and all, any kind of major changes. All that is announced through facebook.com slash Popcorn Junkie. Uh, for more interactive stuff. And to see me do some fun stuff like the trailer talk and the munch along segment, you can follow me on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod, and I'll be I'll even interact with you and if you if you contact me, and it, it I just have a lot of fun over there on Twitter. Uh, it's a it's a garbage website, but I still have my fun with it. 
I have found a new use for the Instagram, though. If you follow me on Instagram at, corn, at Popcorn Junkie Podcast, you'll not only get uh, my announcement for when I'm seeing a new release and the announcement for new episodes, I've since moved the Stardust postings from Facebook to Instagram. So the Instagram will post directly to Facebook, and now you can start. You can learn of my Stardust reactions through the Instagram. So at least that's something more than um, than what I've been doing with it. So I'm I'm, I'm hoping to get something more more out of it. But for the right now, I'm glad I added that extra bit to Instagram. And speaking of uh, the the Stardust app, if you follow me on Stardust at Popcorn Junkie. There you'll be able to see my reactions to the movie before the podcast comes out. So if you want to hear my thoughts on Love, Simon, or my thoughts on Gringo, or Hurricane Heist before the movie, before the podcast comes out, uh, or if you want, to, you, know, you want to hear my actions to something I'm watching at home even, uh, I gave my reaction to The Strangers as well uh, through Stardust. Uh, I've even started doing a trailer talk through the Stardust app. You can follow me. You can follow all of that there on Stardust. Just download the app and follow Popcorn Junkie. And you even got the other, uh, a bunch of other reviewers using it as well. Uh, Nostalgia Critic does it. Uh, Double Toasted has started doing it. Jeremy Johns is on there. The Schmozno guys are on there. And there's even some personalities that I'm not familiar with that are on there. So if you want to find some new people to follow even and check out who was all there regal movies does stuff through the stardust app even like the official regal movies corporation has somebody doing stardust reviews for their movie for the movies that are coming out so if you want to see all of that go check it out on the stardust app by downloading it from either the itunes from itunes google play or uh the amazon marketplace and uh or i guess the windows store if you have a windows phone (laughs) i don't know who's all i don't know who still has that but i know they're out there uh, and then I'm also on Twitch on Saturdays. I Twitch stream from noon to six Eastern time in the United States. Uh, I had a bit of a trouble. I had a bit of trouble with Mega Man. I'm playing the Le- I tried playing the Legacy Collection. Got to the Yellow Devil in uh, in Mega Man One and lost the save file. The save file was corrupted, so I couldn't return to that game to that. So we're going to try it again this coming Saturday. I'm going to try, the Nuzlocks haven't been going very well, and uh, we're going to try. I'm going to try and find something else to do uh, with the Nuzlocks, and then um, we're still playing through the trading card game for Game Boy. We're three medals in uh, as of this last recording. So uh, if you want to check out, check me out over there playing the old version of the trading card game. You can do so over on twitch.tv slash popcornjunkiepwh. And uh, I'm hoping to get the YouTube channel started soon so that people, more people can fi- see what happens. Um, I don't think, I, I don't think I'm able, I'll be able to post the full streams unedited. I would love to for, those, for people who want to watch it raw, but I think I have to edit it down. And unfortunately, that takes time and energy, most of which I do not have. So uh, we'll get... We'll get back to it. Uh, I'll, I'll get to it. I just need to find more time in my schedule to get it done. And uh, if there's anything else you want to say to the podcast, any kind of feedback, you want to give any kind of recommendations or uh, corrections, if I've made a mistake and I need to be corrected, feel free to let me know. Send all of that to popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. That about does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and here's to hoping we get... 
little more than two years. Uh, it, this makes more sense for 100 episodes, but... God, I've been a podcaster for two years. What the hell am I doing with my life? The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nafio. N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. Like, this is high-quality performance from her. So even if the movie is bad, she is good in it. Ah, crap. Hold on, my alarm clock is ringing in the background. <laughs>